Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include LO Fraud, my interview with Greg Richardson, Chief Commercial Officer at MaxX on secondary market trends and private label MBS demand, and takeaways from the recent FOMC minutes. I'd like to thank today's podcast sponsor, Simple Nexus. Simple Nexus unites the people systems, and stages of the mortgage process into a seamless end-to-end solution that spans engagement, origination, closing, and business intelligence. Learn how the homeownership platform can improve loan production, lower operational costs, increase referral volume, and enhance customer satisfaction. Visit simplenexus.com. I received this note from a loan officer in Michigan. Quote, forget the serenity prayer. Grant me coffee to change the things I can, and wine to accept those that I cannot. End quote. There are tens of thousands of loan originators around the U.S., primarily changing things for the better for their clients. But recently, some of them were caught taking a fraudulent continuing education class. Attorney Brian Levy somehow brings it all together in his mortgage musings about the slippery slope and what might happen to those LOs when they return from their 90-day suspensions. Fraud, including kickbacks, unfortunately, is on its way higher according to off-the-record chats with LOs, sometimes making the headlines. And a quick note before we jump into the commentary. Yesterday, we we mentioned news about a new wholesaler, Champions Funding LLC. Brokers should know that, despite social media reports, Champions will be accepting broker applications in the coming months, and at this point is fully testing its customer service software. This commentary will keep you updated on its business rollout. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome onto the show, Greg Richardson. He has 30 years professional experience in capital markets, including trading, banking asset and portfolio management, mortgage banking, secondary marketing, and accounting. Most recently, he was the executive vice president and senior advisor of capital markets for Movement Mortgage, responsible for executing Movement Mortgage's secondary market activities that included overall asset liquidity and oversaw hedging, risk management, pricing, and securitization of $12 billion in annual originations. Mr. Richardson was also a founding member and partner of Altamira Mortgage Partners. Prior to that, he held senior-level positions that included Director of Whole Loan Trading at Wells Fargo Securities, Senior Vice President and Bank Portfolio slash Asset Manager for Wachovia Corporation, and Senior Vice President of Secondary Marketing for Wachovia Mortgage Corporation. And he was also Managing Director at Opus Capital Markets and MDMC. The MaxX Market Report provides non-agency market data and insights people can't get anywhere else. So I'm very excited to have you here. Let's look back at 2021 very quickly. It was a notable year for the secondary market. What were some takeaways for you? Well, Robbie, first of all, thanks for having me here. Super excited to be here and talk to your listeners. We really need to go almost back to 2020 at, at the kind of the height of the pandemic to kind of learn what really happened in 2021. But, you know, it, it was a really interesting time in March of 2020 where really liquidity all but dried up, certainly in the non-agency sector, but you know, also just in the agency sector where the Fed stepped in, uh, provided massive amounts of liquidity in agency MBS, which you know initially created some some panic with with margin calls, et cetera, but ultimately provided a push down in in, in rates, higher prices, and ability for originators to really focus uh, on the agency sector. And, 
you know, it's typical when the Fed comes in and in situations like this and you know, the financial crisis in 07, 08, um, they tend to focus on the agency side, not so much the non-agency side. But the reality was, you know, as you kind of move through 2020, um, we certainly saw a lot of liquidity issues, specifically in non-QM, but but also uh, in, in the jumbo side of, uh, of the equation. Um, you know, our buyers on on the exchange continue to provide liquidity, where other buyers, quite frankly, walked away from trade. So it created a lot of issues. As we kind of move through 2000. And 20, we really started to see the liquidity and, quite frankly, a lot of prepayments occurring in jumbos, specifically in non-agency, where jumbo investors really uh, needed, really required yield. There's a yield grab, and and so with you know ten year at its low was was around 50 basis points uh, in this cycle. Uh, you know we sit now at 204, so a massive move from where we were uh, in in 2020. But you know as you move through the latter part of of 2020, we saw a massive amount of refinance activity. We all know that, mostly rate terms, certainly some cash out. But, you know, and then we, as you kind of move through 2020 and into 2021, still plenty of liquidity in the non HC sector and rates, you know, crammed down effectively at parity almost with, with uh, agency rates, you know, sub 3%. And it really spurred on a lot of uh, origination in the non HC sector. Um, and that continued throughout. 2021. And we'll talk a little bit later about the impacts on the PL sector specifically, but it really was uh, a great opportunity for the NIH sector and the originations, uh, you know, surge to levels we have not seen in a, in a long, long time. I think it, as you kind of move through, you know, the pandemic and Delta variant, et cetera, um, you know, the economy, there are concerns about the economy. You know, inflation was not a concern at this time, and it just continued to you know maintain rates at a really low level throughout 2021. I think the other thing that we need to think about here too is you know, FIFA. All your listeners, I'm sure, are very well aware of the cap issues on you know on investor properties and, and, and second homes. They created a very a very sure liquidity issue for any originators that exceed the cap and you know fortunately the pls markets very quickly absorbed that provide liquidity to originators and you know it really it really didn't impact the origination and the real rates the borrower throughout that process and of course that was all reversed in you know in september um and so originators you know kind of quickly navigated and nimble, they're nimble, as you know, uh, back into a line share of going into the agency space. Now, there was still some loans being sold in PLS and continue to be sold into PLS, even as we sit here talking today. But I think, you know, I think in 2021, I think what I look back at, historically low rates generate a lot of volume. Um, you know, the, the smart mortgage companies, smart originators, obviously focused on the refinance activity, but really started to think about, okay, we're not going to be at these rate levels forever. We really need to focus on, on, you know, our realtor relationships and purchase money mortgages and to sustain and potentially um, grow uh, throughout 2022. Last year, we saw that the private label mortgage-backed security market experienced a resurgence and it's probably going to have to keep going considering the Fed said they're going to continue to withdraw support in their MBS purchases. As supply wanes due to rising rates, what predictions can you make regarding residential mortgage-backed security transactions in 2022? 
Yeah, well, thank you. As, as I alluded earlier, I mean, it was an interesting time in 2021. And really, we cert- certainly didn't see record levels of issuance, but it's certainly the most we've seen in, in, in a long, long time pre-financial crisis, quite frankly. Uh, approximately 50 plus billion in PLSA deals were, were, uh, were done on jumbos and another somewhere between 27 and 30 billion in, in agency-related loans to, um, issued in, in PLS. And most of that, quite frankly, was uh, you know the investor loans, non-owner occupancy loans that, um, that the, the regulator of the agency's FIFA imposed the cap on. And so there was plenty of liquidity. Uh, there was plenty of, plenty of buyers. You know, as we kind of move into, um, you know, 2022, rates are higher. Quite frankly, there's been a pretty dramatic move in interest rates, as I'm sure your listeners are aware, from a low of 275 to, quite frankly, north of 4%. And so buyers of PLS are very aware of that. And so, you know, they're still holding, if you will, some of the lower rack loans that they purchased that they would typically issue in PLS. And so, you know, quite frankly, there's not a lot of demand for a three and a quarter fixed rate jumbo mortgage in the PLS market. So spreads on those those securities have widened out. And and if you understand you know bond math in any way, the reality is is as rates go higher and you hold lower rate loans on your balance sheet, they extend. And so it just gets tough for banks to think through how they match the duration of a loan that's extending much longer than they thought they would have it for versus their liabilities deposits, if you will. So that too will pass. We need to digest that supply and effectively start looking at where supply is today, which I, as I said, is currently trading somewhere between four and four and a quarter, not, not much, not all that much different than, than agency mortgages. So when I think of, when I think of the amount of issuances, I think it's going to be challenged to, um, to meet the numbers I just told you, 50 plus billion in, in, in jumbo PLS. But, you know, time will tell. I mean, we, where, where this goes, we'll see. Um, there's going to be other opportunities in the non-C space. There's plenty and plenty of, of buyers looking to, um, to buy loans at, at the current market rates. The real question is, can originators originate enough volume at those levels? Fortunately, like you said, the value of the servicing asset has gone up, which helps act as kind of a natural hedge against some of the decreased origination volume. I want to switch gears slightly and talk about FHFA, which always seems to be in the news, especially with a new director here. The FHFA increased fees on high balance and second home loans. What opportunity or opportunities does this present to the private secondary market as we move through the year? On exchange, uh, we have many buyers and there's certainly plenty of interest in that sector. Uh, and we certainly have plenty of interest from originators slash sellers uh, to understand the liquidity there. And, you know, if there's any way that we can, we can replenish some of the supply we're going to lose, it's going to be in, in the second home and high balance arena, especially on second homes where in the higher LTVs, where if it came in, it was pretty punitive when you think about the fee structure as much as, you know, 387 basis point fee that's currently being charged. And, you know, when, when you reverse that into the impact on the borrower uh, and the originator trying to 
sell this loan to a borrower, it, it becomes that much more expensive for them, the borrower, to buy second homes implicitly just because your real rate is probably somewhere close to 100 basis points higher than it would have been if they tried to um, purchase a home three months ago. And so it's significant. The reality is the PLS market understands that there's there is an arbitrage there from time to time. So I think the PLS market, as it did with the non-owner market, will look to that as an opportunity to provide sellers with liquidity in that sector. The question really is, is how much production can be done at the origination level when you're looking at 100 to 150 basis points of rate higher than, the, than, than second home borrowers would have seen you know, three to four months ago? So I think the jury's still out now. I think certainly it'll impact supply, but I also think it really does uh, provide an opportunity for um, for PLS. Another opportunity out there is in this Jumbo Express loan space, which Jumbo Express loans gained more volume share last year. For those that don't know, Jumbo Express loans it, it essentially offers a fixed rate product allowing for loan amounts greater than the agency national limit. Greg, how will this change the landscape of loan characteristics, especially with regard to increasing average loan amounts compared to the standard jumbo product? Yeah, I think um, it's a good question. I mean, I mean, first of all, we rolled out um, our jumbo, jumbo AS, we call it Jumbo Express, in the early part of the first quarter of 2021. Um, and really, it was in reaction to some of the changes in QM. And so what that really allowed originators was they could lever, now lever, AUS um, findings to originate a jumbo loan. Well, we all know that 90 plus percent of the originations are all agency originations and, and originators leverage DULP. And now the great opportunity now is that these originators can leverage the same artificial underwriting system, if you will, DULP, to help create efficiencies in the process. And we're, we're seeing it magnified in, in many different ways, quite frankly. We're, we're we're closing in on 90% of what we buy through the exchange uh, under this um, Jumbo Express AUS program. And it, it really is a game changer, not only for the seller and efficiencies, but also from how they think about underwriting. Smaller lenders sometimes are afraid about you know, originating a, a Jumbo loan just because typically, historically, it's been very, very difficult, um, very, very operationally efficient. And, and it comes with risk, whereas under this AUS program, Jumbo Express, we remove some of those risks as part of that process. And so it can be done a heck of a lot more efficiently with the same underwriters that are currently utilizing uh, DUNLP for agency loans. So, you know, as, as it relates to loan characteristics, I think it's going to be really more driven by the market. And, you know, I think... LTVs, because we're in a purchase market, LTVs will, will trend higher. I think you know the FICO scores or credit are really going to remain uh, relatively the same. I mean, with the, jumbo loans are generally written to uh, relatively conservative guidelines, and so I don't I don't see, and we have not observed through the market report much movement in in FICO. Uh, we have seen a pretty dramatic movement in LTV, quite frankly, just because we've moved from a kind of rate term refinance market to a purchase market. Speaking of dramatic movement, the pandemic has created a pretty volatile market environment. And even if that subsided at times last year, it's come back into play with uncertainty surrounding how hawkish the Fed will be with their rate hikes and with their uh, quantitative easing cutbacks. How has all this volatility affected LOs and their need for consistent business? And when do you think that might start leveling out? 
<laughs> my crystal ball, right? Um, yeah, well, it, it's it's certainly, um, you know, and I talked a little bit about the volatility earlier, but um, it, it has been a pretty volatile market across the agency space and non-agency space over the last month or two with a dramatic rise in rates. You know, as we sit here talking today, we're, you know, at 204 on 10s. You know, it wasn't all that long ago. We were at, you know, 125 on 10s. So it's it, it really has had a pretty... Uh, material impact on the real rates of the borrower. Um, you know, rates are certainly north of 4% as we sit here today, but the Fed is hawkish, as you said. There's differentiation on what you think each Fed member wants to do with raising rates, anywhere from gradual to 100 plus basis points at the next, at the next meeting or certainly within the next month. But the, the reality is over time, until the Fed can get inflation under control, we're going to see a movement at rates higher on the short term. You know how that how that impacts the longer term rates. You know, time will tell. It really is all about inflation with bonds and and, and mortgages. So, I think we're going to continue to see some volatility. I think there's going to be some sense of a a cap on rates at some point. Maybe it's in the we're currently in the low fours. Maybe it's the mid fours. But I don't really see it materially going much higher than that. And so, you know, gosh, when you when you think about this from a historical perspective, you know, four percent mortgage rate, four and a half percent. Four and a half percent mortgage rate on a historical is, is is really low, and so I think it's just this paradigm shift in borrower's mind that yeah, you lost that opportunity to buy a home at a two and three quarters mortgage rate. You really need to start thinking about a, a four to four and a half percent mortgage rate and how that affects your affordability. Now, I, I will also tell you, um, and we, we mentioned this in the market report. We market report. We actually put kind of a payment calculator together. There are other products um, that. Originators and loan officers should certainly consider as rates rise, which we don't really talk about adjustable rate mortgages much anymore because it's been such a fixed rate market for so long. But the reality is there are products available. And yeah, I'll give you, we have this actually in the market report laid out between you know jumbo loan loan versus a 10-6 IO loan, um, which is basically fixed for 10 years and adjusts every six months thereafter. An IO loan to put some math together, a four and a quarter 30 year fixed rate would drive a, a P&I payment of just under 5,000 bucks for a million dollar loan, $4,919. On a 10 and six IO at three and five eights, so you have a lower rate, uh, but it's also an interest only period, 10 years, um, it's $2,800. So you know when you think about affordability, it really ends up driving your mortgage payment down rather significantly. In that specific example, it's it's just north of $2,000 a month in payment savings. Now, the reality is that's not free. You eventually have to pay back that IO period. But the reality is in the short term, most people's stay in a house, homes less than 10 years and, and will certainly either refinance or, or pay the mortgage off or, or, or move on to another another home. So I, I think the key message here as we think through 2022 and, and 2023 is originators and loan officers need to have a very strong product breadth, not only include you know liquidity in 30-year Fixed rate mortgages, because that's not going to change, but also a variety of other mortgage products will help them, you know, meet each individual borrower's needs, which are different, and make sure borrowers understand the risks of some of these other uh, mortgages out there that include non-QM and, and other types of products as well. So I think I think the good news in all this is there's plenty of products out there for originators to think through and add to their product breadth. 
you just need to spend some time to understand what they are, the risks, and, and, and make sure you get them in, you know, into your loan officer's hands. I mean, the reality is loan officers, especially very good loan officers, are very, very important to originators. And you want to make sure you arm your loan officers with the most complete product breadth that you can, because you don't want to loan, you don't want to lose those loan officers. So I guess I'll wrap it up with lots of volatility. I think things will start to calm down here a bit here in the next few months, but Make sure you're armed with the ability to originate more than just 30-year mortgages. Definitely. And I'm actually going through the home purchase process right now, and I'm looking at arms. I'd also add for originators out there, sometimes your sales staff doesn't even know the technology you have or the products you have on offer. So it's always good to, to do a little refresher and, and remind uh, your, your LOs that you are uh, very competitive in this environment and might have more to offer than they, they think because they've been doing fixed rate loans for the last couple of years. Craig, thank you for making the time. I, I thought this was very valuable and uh, hopefully we'll have you back on again soon. Robbie, I certainly appreciate the time. Look forward to talking to you soon. Turning to the bond market, we saw the yield curve finally steepen a bit yesterday, impacting the difference between 30-year and adjustable mortgage rates. Total retail sales for January increased 3.8% month over month, more than expected. The effects of Omicron were apparent in the report as evidenced by the 14.5% increase in non-store retailer sales and the 0.9% decline in sales at food services and drinking places. Retail sales are not adjusted for price changes, so higher prices likely played a part in the strong increase. Consumers are still willing and able to spend in spite of the inflation, but that won't keep the Fed from taking imminent action to combat it. The FOMC minutes from the January 25th, 26th meeting showed that policymakers agree that asset purchases should be concluded soon, but only a couple participants favored bringing asset purchases to an even quicker halt. Participants agreed that a significant reduction in the size of the balance sheet would be appropriate, but the minutes on the whole proved relatively benign as little light was actually shed on the prospects of speed or timing of the balance sheet runoff. Chair Powell said during his press conference that actual balance sheet conversations would occur over the next two meetings, meaning that the actual announcement could be as late as the July 27th meeting and commence in August. All of today's notable economic data is already out. Weekly jobless claims came in worse than expected at 248,000, up 23,000, while continuing claims came in at 1.593 million. Philadelphia Fed manufacturing was down 7.2 to 16, and housing starts and building permits for January slumped 4.1% to 1.638 million, and rose 0.7% to 1.899 million on an annualized basis, respectively. Neither starts nor permits will do much to alleviate the lack of homes for sale. Later this morning brings Freddie Mac's primary mortgage market survey, in which rates are expected to rise again, and an auction of $9 billion in 30-year Treasury inflation-protected securities. Today also sees a couple of hawkish voting Fed speakers speaking on the outlook and monetary policy in the form of St. Louis's Bullard and Cleveland's Mester. We begin the day with agency MBS prices better by nearly a quarter and the 10-year yielding 1.99 after it closed yesterday at 2.05% due to the barrage of economic data this morning. Remember that Fed rate hikes won't necessarily hurt millions of our borrowers who have fixed rate mortgages in the 2% range. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Electricity bills be like usage, $40.21. Distribution fee? $152.30. Processing fee, $45.21. Transmission fee, $34.50. Fee fee, 
$15.80. Fee FIFO FUM fee, $17.75. Might as well fee, another five bucks. And WTF you gonna do fee, $3. Actually, there's another dollar won't hurt fee as well for another dollar. <laughs> Thanks again to this week's sponsor, Simple Nexus, an Encino company, an award-winning developer, a mobile-first technology for the modern mortgage lender. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.